don't cry You can rely on me, honey You can combine anything you want Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, the AXPX podcast. It's been a couple weeks. I've actually really missed doing the show, so I'm glad to be back. Um, my name's Sean DeRager, your host, of course. And with me, as always, Joey Avalos. What's up, man? How you doing, Sean? Good. It's really good to be back talking with you on the podcast. It's uh, it's weird because I've, I have, um, and I've done other shows, but I have I've missed this show a lot. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad to be back speaking with you about stuff. Yeah, me too, man. Um, we should be back on a weekly basis. Uh, hopefully, I know Christmas time, December, December's a bit weird, so just be flexible with us. And, um, you know, we'll let you guys know in advance what's going on. Just check the Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash the AXPX and, and, uh, we'll have all the news there. You can also follow, uh, the AXPX on Twitter. Go just Twitter slash AXPX and we'll let you know if there's any changes in the schedule. Um, we do have some exciting things coming up. I'm working on an interview with a Christian brewery that I'm really excited about. That's probably going to happen maybe end of December, if not January, depending on just because the holidays are, are goofy. And then uh, we're also working on kind of sealing the deal with another um, interview that I'm really excited about, but I want to keep on the kind of DL until we get that solidified. So a lot of exciting things, Joey. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. Um, also, we did land a sponsorship with charmingbeard.com or Charming Beard Coffee. Um, so they've been sponsoring my entertainment podcast, but they were a bit wary about sponsoring a religion podcast. <laughs> so, uh, and especially since they're out of Salt Lake City, they, they knew we we're going to be talking Mormonism. So they were a bit scared. But I assured them that, uh, you know, we're not, I'm not all about being controversial on the show. It's all about people sharing their stories. And that's what it's all about. So they agreed to do the sponsorship. You can go to charmingbeard.com. And when you uh, buy a single bag of coffee or a couple bags of coffee uh, in the coupon code, just type in AXPX and you'll get a 10% discount. So it's pretty good. Sweet, man. Yeah. You know, um, it's only on the single, the bags of coffee, not on their coffee of a month club. So, so there you go. Charming beard coffee, uh, charmingbeard.com. They're the sponsor of the show. And, uh, yeah, so it's good stuff. It's like single batch, small origin stuff. Um, a little bit pricier than like Folgers, but it's free and awesome. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's jump into this show. I'm really been really excited to to chat about uh, Mormonism. And on uh, on the show today, we have a guest, uh, Trevor Magara. Trevor, did I, did I pronounce your name right, man? Uh, it's uh, Trevor Magar. Okay. Sort of like uh, the fish, the gar. <laughs> okay. Great, Trevor Magar, and uh, we've been speaking off and on throughout like Facebook and everything, and um, and uh, through through all of our discussions, I, I discovered that you are uh, that you're you're a Mormon, and um, you're also a libertarian, right? Yes, which is a clever spin on because you know we thought everyone, you know, the, everyone there's the everyone thinks that, oh if you're a Mormon you're going to go for Romney, but I was thought it was really interesting that you were uh, actually uh, going for the libertarian guys, which is pretty great. <laughs> Since I'm pretty much leaning that way, um, so Trevor, thanks for agreeing to talk to us. And my my goal for the show is to basically lay the groundwork on Mormonism, on what it means to you, and and uh, kind of your experiences with it, because there's just a lot of misconceptions, basically because of the the election and having Mitt Romney run uh, for president, kind of brought the Mormonism into uh, into the limelight a little bit. 
Um, I think people called it like Year of the Mormon or something like that. There's all these little, you know, clever spins on it. And uh, I know, I think, uh, the, there was a lot more commercials. Um, those, those, uh, I am a Mormon commercials were a lot more prevalent. So it was a very interesting year as far as Mormonism goes. And I wanted to, to talk to someone about it, but I also, like, it's nice that it's happening a couple of weeks after the election when everything's kind of died down. So we'd actually settle on and just have a conversation about it without any, anything kind of, you know, spinning around the news and stuff like that. So, so thanks, man. That's my long winded way of saying thank you. <laughs> um, I'm glad to be here. Um, let's just jump into, I just want to jump into your, your story here. Um, and Joey, uh, feel free to interject if you have any, um, any kind of follow up questions or anything as, as I go along here. Okay. Um, I'd like to know, like, your journey into Mormon, Mormonism. Um, I know a lot of people, including myself, with our religious backgrounds, were kind of raised into it. Um, did you grow up in it, or did you become a Mormon later? What, what's your what's your kind of journey into into Mormonism? Yeah, um, I grew up in the in the church. Uh, the I mean, uh, people commonly call it Mor- the Mormon Church or Mormonism. But uh, the official name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I grew up in it. Uh, but my parents uh, are both converts to the church. My mom joined when she was 16 years old because of some friends that she had uh, made. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad, he joined a little later in life. He was in his late 20s when he joined. It was uh, sometime after he'd met my mom, but it wasn't because of my mom that he ended up joining it. That's just, it just happened that it happened at about the same time that they met. Do you, uh, do you know a little more about their story and like how, how does one, you know, if you come into the church from outside the church, how do, how do, how does something like that happen? Is it through friends or, um, you know, or, or, um, do you, do you guys go like door to door? I mean, how, how would someone from the outside come into the church? Uh, well, there's several different ways it can uh-huh. happen. Uh, a lot of times it is through a friend, uh, someone that uh, you know. Uh, they might invite you to church or to some uh, activity at church, like uh, maybe a Christmas program or something like that, and you get introduced that way. Uh, but uh, we do have a very large uh, uh, number of volunteer uh, full-time missionaries mm-hmm. that they go around door-to-door uh trying to talk to people, uh, but usually that's not as effective as uh, having having uh, someone uh, meet through a friend because, I mean, then you have that support structure in place and that sort of thing, uh, which in foreign countries especially, a lot of times people uh, end up joining because of the missionary that they met as opposed to they enjoyed the friendship and that sort of thing, but they didn't really get that once that missionary moved on. Mm-hmm. Cool, and 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 I know that um, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is very much um, compared to most other churches. It's a there is a very strong sense of community with the church, and that's one thing that I've noticed. And also a very strong um, focus on on family. You know, the family unit is a very important part of of being a Mormon, and it's funny because. Um, just knowing like my, my cousin, um, cousin-in-law, their family, we had them over, they came and stayed the night at our house and it was like, it was like the best, I mean, they, and they have, oh, how many kids do they have now? Four? <laughs> and it was like, I was a bit, you know, kind of terrified, like, oh my gosh, all these people are going to be in our house. But it was like, it was the most pleasant experience 
I think I've ever had with having a, a house guest. Um, so, so I think that, you know, family very much is, um, is a huge part of, uh, of the Mormon church. Is that, is that correct? Is that something that's not necessarily stressed, but encouraged? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, family is, uh, essential. I mean, uh, we, we believe that families are like the basic unit of society. Uh, it's where you get your basic instruction. Uh, it's where you learn how to be a productive and good citizen. I mean, yeah, there's schools and community organizations that help supplement that sort of thing. But the primary responsibility is with the family on, as far as rearing children and helping them uh, become a uh, good members of society later in life. So, yeah, I mean, there's a huge emphasis on family because, uh, I mean, they're the most crucial part of society to help people in their day-to-day lives. Okay. Joey, do you have anything to follow up or are we, are we, are we good to go so far? Here? Yeah, I, I found it, um, I find it interesting because, um, I would like to hear more about his, um, his journey with Mormonism because, you know, growing up, you know, I remember I live in a, in Arizona and in, and especially the part of Arizona I live in is a highly uh, populated Mormon community. I mean, we have a new temple being built about a mile away from my house. Um, so I grew up a lot of, with a lot of friends that were Mormon and, you know, I just always, you know, the kids that weren't Mormon, they always kind of made fun of them because they're always going off to their like these secret meetings or whatever in school or they, that's what they call them. Like, oh, they're going to their church or things and they can't do this, can't do that. But the, but the funny thing, it was always this misconception too about Mormonism too. Like they were always like the, like almost like a, a pastor's kid. They're always the wild people too, you know, like, yeah, they might be conservative, but you know, in school, all the kids were that were Mormon, some of them, you know, that you think that would be all like really conservative and whatnot were actually kind of the crazy ones. Were you one of those crazy Mormons or were you really <laughs> stick, stick to the Mormonism, Mormonism ways and, uh, and live a very conservative life? Uh, I would definitely say I was more on the conservative side. I'd, I wouldn't necessarily say it was because of Mormonism itself, but I mean, that's part of my general personality as well. I'm more conservative, more laid back. I don't really like being out there, being the center of attention, uh, that sort of thing. But I, I've always uh, been like the way I was raised is that I'm a representative of not only myself, but my actions also reflect on my parents, the way my parents raised me. And also uh, me, I, I grew up in Arkansas and there are it's not a very large Mormon population out here, and everyone I grew up with knew I was Mormon, so they looked at me sort of like as their only, uh, I guess, reference point for what a Mormon is and that sort of thing. So I, I, I kind of had that in the back of my, my mind as far as I wanted to give a good impression of what Mormons are and that sort of thing. I didn't want them to think that, oh, here's a, a hypocrite or whatever, because, I mean, right, they're right. Are very uh, strict or what what the outside world calls strict uh, lifestyle choices, that sort of thing that Mormons are supposed to abstain from doing in their day-to-day life. So I didn't want to be one of those people that were like, oh, well, we know he's a Mormon, but look at him. He's not doing what he's supposed to as a, a good Mormon. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, so so being raised in, being raised in, in uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what are, like, what are the steps that you, you, uh, you took to, basically to be raised uh 
uh, in the church. I know that, um, I mean, I, I have a very vague, you know, uh, idea of what, of what it is, but I know that you guys do go on a mission. Like, what are kind of the steps of, uh, of being raised, you know, in, in a Mormon family? Um, like, when does the mission come in and what, it, what is that essentially as well? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and start sort of at birth. <laughs> okay. At, as far as what a typical Mormon experience might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I won't go into too much detail unless you interject with questions or whatever. Sounds great. Like a, a lot of, in a lot of the churches, sometimes shortly after birth, uh, the infant is baptized, which usually uh, is a symbol of them uh, accepting Christ or become a member of that church. Uh, in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we don't baptize little infants. Instead, they have what we call like a child's blessing in front of the congregation where uh, there's a prayer said, and then we invoke blessings upon the infant uh, that they'll be able to pull from for the rest of their life. Uh, and uh, that, that's sort of how the start is. And then every Sunday, there's three hours of, of worship. There's the congregational worship, which is about an hour long. And then uh, right after that, typically there's about two hours worth of Sunday school, which are broken up depending on the age group and that sort of thing, having individual lessons uh, either from the Bible or the Book of Mormon or uh, things like that uh, to help uh, teach not only the children, but also the adults, some of the uh, basic doctrines help them gain a better, better understanding of the scriptures. Uh, that, so, I mean, that's something that happens throughout life, the three hours every Sunday. Uh, and then at the age of eight, uh, that's, that's when a, the typical Mormon child is uh, baptized into the church. Uh, we believe baptism to be not only a symbol of uh, accepting Christ and being being becoming one of His followers, but it's also a way of being receiving an, a remission of sins because baptism is for remission of sins. That's another reason why we don't baptize infants is because we believe an infant is innocent; they have no capability of sin. Uh, but through revelations through the prophet Joseph Smith, uh, it was revealed to him that at the age of eight, that's when uh, children start to become accountable for their actions. Up until then, a lot of it falls upon the parents to teach their children properly. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, at about the age of 12, that's when uh, you're considered no longer a child in the church. You're considered a young man or young woman. Uh, so you have uh, additional, like your Sunday school classes start focusing more on uh, the individual needs as far as like what a woman would need or what a, a man would need to become a better person in life. Uh, men at that or the boys at that age receive uh, the priesthood, which allows them to officiate in some manner as as far as, uh, as serving within the church. Uh, the most uh, obvious way that they serve is through the administering and the passing of communion, which is what we, we call a sacrament. We use a bread and water. A lot of other congregations will use uh, bread or wafers and wine, that sort of thing, but we use bread and water. Uh, so the young men get that chance to do that. Um, also at the age of 12, 
both uh, the boys and girls start having a chance to assume leadership roles within the youth organization of the church. So they get to be representatives of their age group and also get to start planning activities and that sort of thing. So from a young age, we're starting to be groomed to be not just members of society, but start to be more productive and become leaders within society. Uh, around the age 14, uh, I believe Joey alluded to these secret uh, meetings <laughs> <laughs> that, that uh, uh, the Mormon teenagers go to. We typically refer to it as seminary, which is for about an hour each school day. You go and have uh, additional like either like they rotate it every year, but one year it might be the New Testament that's being studied. Another year it might be the Book of Mormon, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's done one hour a day in heavily or in areas with heavy Mormon population. It's usually during a free period during the school day at a building that might be across the street or whatever from the school. But like in Arkansas, ours was actually in the morning before school. So we'd get up and have to be at the, the church building at like six o'clock in the morning before school started. And so we'd do that every day during the school year for uh, from our freshman year until we graduated high school. So it's, uh, in a lot of sense, it's kind of like, you know, um, I had a lot of Catholic friends, and even Lutheran, they would have catechism like, a, like after school. But it sounds like this is a lot more intense than just like a catechism. This is like straight up almost like if if I was going to go to like seminary for like Bible college or something like that. It's, it's more intense than like just a, a basic catechism, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's... It helps you uh, become more familiar with the, the scriptures, uh, learning like a lot of it's uh, spent on helping us learn to memorize certain scriptures, that sort of thing. It's all about helping to build an individual's testimony because we're as members of the church, we're taught to not just rely on the faith of our parents or uh, rely on the faith of the, the leaders of the church, but we're supposed to learn for ourselves. So all of this is designed to help us learn for ourselves within the formative years, because uh, when you're 14, 15, 16 in, in that age group, that's a very volatile time in a teenager's life. So it sort of adds like a, a bit of consistency that helps you stay well founded within your beliefs. It helps you uh, become more, I guess, uh, aware of how you should be acting how Christ taught that uh, we should act and help others and that sort of thing instead of just relying on the influence of, of our friends. His friends start taking on a bigger part of your life at that age too. So, mm -hmm. so, um, so once you're, you, you go through like high school and stuff like that and you, you're, you're doing the seminary, uh, when does uh, the mission come into play? Is that after high, like yeah, high school, college age or? Yeah, that's uh, typically at the college age. Uh, when when I went back in uh, 2001 on my mission, uh, it was at the age of 19 for men, and uh, females could go starting at the age of 21. But uh, this year, uh, they've actually changed that policy. So uh, now the young men can go at the age of 18. So right after graduating high school, they can go on a two-year mission. And uh, the young women can go at the age of 19. Now, I'm not quite sure why they still have the age disparity there. Mm -hmm. or what, but, I mean, it's it used to be 19 and 21. So, I mean, there's a, a 
a two-year age gap there, but now there's a one-year age gap, but they've lowered the, the age for both of them, uh, supposedly to uh, try to get an increase in the number of people willing to uh, go on a mission and that sort of thing. Because if typically what happened is you would uh, graduate high school, then you'd go to college for a year or you might work for a year and then uh, you'd be saving up money and then you'd go on on your mission for two years. But so can can you, uh, Trevor, can you expand on what, what the mission is? Like, what do you guys generally do during that time? Is it, uh, is it another more time of kind of study or is this, um, kind of more proselytizing or spreading, you know, um, I mean, what, what, what do you guys do to, for that two year period? What's the, what's the main goal of the mission? Okay. Yeah. For the majority of people that go on these missions, it's a proselytizing missions. Mm-hmm. There are some that, uh, like in some parts of the world that uh, it's not yet allowed for uh, proselytizing, that sort of thing. So, but they are allowed to have like service missions in those areas. So the church can have a presence there, but all the missionaries are doing are, is per- performing like community service sort of things, helping build schools, that sort of thing. But I, I was in a, a proselyting mission in the Philippines where the, the main goal was to go basically door to door or and uh, teach people that were willing to listen about what I believed and uh, see if they were interested. And if they were, sort of guide them through the process on how they can learn more. And if they desired that they could uh, join our church. Mm-hmm. What well, what was the, the kind of the hardest thing that you encountered when you were doing, when, when you were on, on your mission? Was it, because um, it, it, it sounds like it could kind of, you know, take a toll on someone. You know, because you're looking at, you know, you're going door to door and that's, that's potentially a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, rejection. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, did you run into a lot of that? Was it, was it grueling or what, or, or did you enjoy it? What was your experience with that? Uh, it, it definitely is, is a lot of work and there is quite a bit of rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I, I had the privilege of uh, being in the Philippines, which is, a little different than say a missionary that might have been to gone to like uh, Brazil or might be a missionary here in the United States uh, during that two year time period that a lot of the, the Filipinos, they might not be interested in hearing about the gospel, like our, our beliefs or whatever, but they were very interested in the fact that we were Americans and we could speak their language. Oh, okay. Uh, but I mean, so, I mean, we, we would all like, we'd uh, be happy to talk to them. Uh, and throughout the pro, like a lot of times we would talk for maybe like 10, 15 minutes, but we would try to interject like some of our beliefs, try to see if it's something they might like to hear a little bit more about. But I mean, a lot of times they weren't really interested, but uh, for the most part in the Philippines, we didn't really have any issues with people like being verbally abusive that I mean, I've heard stories of that from other missionaries that in other parts of the world that they have experienced that sort of thing. Uh, we never really had any threats against us mm-hmm. or anything, but it's something that has happened to other missionaries and other missions. But it's not something that I experienced in, in mine. But it was uh, it was very rewarding. Uh, uh, serving for two years. Uh, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that. Uh, when we go on these missions, we pay for 
these missions for us by ourselves or with our parent or our parents or family's assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't actually get paid by the church to do this. So it's a it, over a two year period. You're looking at typically about uh, I, I think about twenty thousand dollars that we're spending to go and do this on our own, mm-hmm. as opposed to going and maybe getting some sustenance from a local congregation. They might provide a home or whatever force to live in might provide regular food, which is uh, fairly common in in other uh, churches. But in ours, it's expected that we will do this all voluntarily for ourselves. It's a sacrifice in that regard. It's a sacrifice in uh, giving up the two years, but the rewards we get as far as uh, learning how to be independent, uh, learning how to uh, approach people, uh, getting the experience of constantly being rejected. Mm-hmm. I mean, add something that can't really be taught like to a person, like how to handle. And I mean, it's not something that it, it helps within the church, but it also helps outside of the church in like uh, business or that sort of thing. You're always going to experience uh, downfalls or whatever, but we're trained as missionaries to always do planning, uh, come up with action, like our plan of action to how to meet goals and that sort of thing. It's all about setting goals. So, I mean, it's a, a good way to become a, a more firm believer in the things that you believe because you're dedicating a full two years. You're not allowed to date, watch movies or any of that sort of thing during those two years. So, so I mean, yeah, it was a great learning experience mm-hmm. in that regard too. Let's see. I'm going to take a break here in a little bit, but I want to, one more question. I, there's like so many things it's like we can un, unravel here. Um, but let's just, uh, so what do you see like with all your experience with, with, uh, with, with the church, with your faith, with, with Mormonism, what, what gives you the impression that this is the true faith for you? You know what I mean? What, what kind of sets it apart in your mind from say, um, just straight up, just regular quote unquote Christianity or, or anything else? What's the, kind of what seals the deal for you as far as as far as that goes well i, I kind of mentioned it earlier that uh, something that the church is big on is not just sort of indoctrinating us by always having all these uh, uh classes we go to and that sort of thing but the emphasis on is on having us find out for ourselves through personal study through uh personal prayer uh, uh, and as I've gone through and done that, done the, the soul searching on my own, I mean, there's been times when uh, there's been, I haven't been going to church as regularly as uh, I used to. I mean, there's been times I haven't gone every every Sunday or whatever because I, I was doing soul searching. I was like, is this something I truly believe in? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that I, I would always fall back on that uh, it's where I felt the most comfortable. It's what seem to resonate with like uh, my, my soul I guess or it's something that just based on everything that I've studied uh, from the Bible from the Book of Mormon all that it's what what I feel uh, is what will allow me to uh, ultimately uh, go and live in heaven with uh, with uh, Jesus Christ mm-hmm 
Great. That's, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, Trevor, for sharing that. Um, so what I want to do now, I'm going to take, we're going to take a break. Um, there's a couple things I want to, after the break, I do want to talk about the Book of Mormon. Um, not the Broadway play. Um, <laughs> the book. Uh, and then I want to cover like the, the, like there's some myths about Mormonism that I want to cover. But so we'll get into that after this break here. Um, at first, I didn't really know who I was going to play for the show for the music break, but I figured it out. Um, this band, their album just came out. They're on Deep Elm Records, and I'm going to be doing a uh, a review of theirs very shortly. But I like the album so much, I want to feature it on this show. the The band's called Our Lost Infantry, and they're from the UK. And their album uh, is called uh, The New Art History, and it's out digitally through deepelmdigital.com. It's also available on Spotify. The song I'm going to play for you right now is my favorite song off the album. This is called Fearless. You're listening to the AXPX Podcast. Yes. 
That was Fearless by Our Lost Infantry. You can find the album on deepelmdigital.com. You can go to Our Lost, uh, oh shoot, uh, we are ourlostinfantry.com. And uh, the album's called The New Art History, and it's really good. Uh, the great thing about that, that album is it's kind of like a nine-part movement, so each of these songs kind of flow into one another. So it's kind of hard to piecemeal these, but um, it's a really great album. I really encourage you guys to check it out. It's free on Spotify, so if you have a Spotify account, uh, you can check it out there and uh, see if you like it. And I would encourage you, if you guys like it, spend spend five bucks and buy the album. It's really The whole album is available digitally, high quality for five bucks. You can't go wrong there. All right, I'll be playing another one of their songs a little bit later. But let's jump back into our discussion here with Trevor McGar. Um, we are talking Mormonism. And uh, um, Trevor, again, thanks for being open about uh, how you were raised and, and everything like that. I really appreciate it. Uh, I want to jump into um, some myths about Mormonism in just a little bit. But first, I wanted, I wanted to bring up the Book of Mormon because... That's the one thing that sets you guys apart from, say, Christianity. You guys do have an extra holy book that was uh, 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 written by or compiled by uh, Joseph Smith. Um, could you tell us a little bit about about the book, as far as, far as you know, like the history of it, um, and, and how you guys incorporate that into like the Old and the New Testaments of the, of the Bible? Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, we, as a... Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we believe that the canon of Scripture is not closed. Uh, we, we believe that it's it's still open, that uh, there can be additional revelation added to it. Uh, part of that is through the Book of Mormon, uh, which uh, we believe is another testament of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's It actually wasn't uh, compiled or just written by Joseph Smith, but it was uh, translated from what has been commonly referred to as the golden plates, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, he found uh, buried in a, in a hillside uh, that he was shown them uh, by an, a vis- an angel that came and visited him and showed him where they were. Uh, he translated it and it told the story of a group of people that came from Israel uh, there's actually two groups or well, three groups of people that came at different times. Uh, some came uh, during like right after the Tower of Babel uh, and they came and ended up uh, destroying all them like each other and that sort of thing through wars and wickedness and that sort of thing. Uh, but the majority of the Book of Mormon tells the story of a group of people that uh, came out of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, just prior to the time of uh, uh, Israel being captured by Babylon and being taken into captivity with Babylon, where you get into the stories of like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, and, like during that time period, uh, about 600 uh, BC or so. Uh, so it's it uh, talks about like their journey. Uh, from Israel across the oceans uh, to the Americas, where they continued to receive revelation. They knew about the coming of a Savior. They were taught that this Savior would uh, come to Israel, uh, come to Jerusalem, where he'd be uh, crucified uh, to die for the sins of all mankind. And then after his death, he was prophesied to come and visit them in that. 
in the Americas to, I guess, teach them everything that he had taught the people, like in in uh, Jerusalem, uh, like the all the different parables he told, uh, the, like the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that sort of thing. That those very uh, commonly uh, quoted stories and stuff that uh, Jesus taught in the New Testament, he taught to the people in America. Um, but over over time, uh, about 400 years or so after uh, Jesus uh, had come to America, after his, after his death and resurrection, eventually the people turned away from uh, the teachings of Christ and I had all these wars and all the people that were believers were wiped out through the wars. Uh, but there was a prophet that was named uh, Mormon. And that's where the Book of Mormon com- uh, comes from. He took all the records of all the different prophets that had lived before him in the Americas. And he had made like an abridgment of all their records and compiled it into uh, what's referred to as the Book of Mormon uh, at his death, he passed that on to his son Moroni, who finished up his father's work and added a few remaining, like, like a few other things that he thought important to say before he ultimately mm-hmm. died as the last representative of this group of people, which uh, uh, we call Nephites. Um, after uh, Nephi, one of the first uh, prophets in in this uh, account from Jerusalem to the Americas. Mm-hmm. And uh, when uh, Joseph Smith uh, learned about these in the 18th, or was the, the angel that appeared to Joseph Smith in the 1820s was uh, Angel Moroni, uh, which was the same uh, Moroni that ended up burying the plates. He showed them where they were and then through the, uh, the gifts of the spirit, uh, Joseph Smith was able to translate the, the the records, and he wrote, uh, or through the translations, that's how we came to have the Book of Mormon, which we use in tandem with the Bible, uh, uh, teaching us about things that Christ taught, uh, teaching about the atonement, mm-hmm. about uh, baptism, or how to live a Christ-like life, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, w- we use the Bible, and we use the Book of Mormon. So, do you find that you guys, like, especially when you're going through your seminary, did you find that... Uh, they would basically weave stories of the Book of Mormon in, in with the New Testament and, and kind of, you know, have them each complement one another. Is that how you guys were were taught? I, use all three that way? Because we, we, as Christians, Christians do that with the Old Testament. They'll take things, you know, from the Old Testament and weave them into the New Testament narrative and, and back and forth. Um, so you, you would, would you find the same, kind of the same sort of thing happening with the Book of Mormon then? Yeah, uh, uh, some of the times, like if, uh-huh. uh, if, if, for example, there's a lesson was being taught on faith and how to gain faith, like it, they would pull uh, references from the Book of Mormon, the New Testament, Old Testament, to show that uh, the same things had been taught throughout history uh, to the uh, to the believers, and it's not just limited to people that were in Jerusalem or people that were from the tribes of Israel in that regard, uh, having grown up there there but the same sort of things were taught to different groups of people across the world of which the people in the in the americas that the book of mormon is a record of is just one example of those groups Mm -hmm. very cool all right um so 
I want to, now that we have a little bit of the, of the, I mean, that's the thing. I'm like, I'm asking you to hear to like, can you please, uh, can you uh, <laughs> ab- abridge the Book of Mormon and tell us about it? <laughs> I know it's a, it's a bit hard to do, but, uh, th- you know, th- thanks, Trevor. Appreciate it. Um, let's jump into, uh, I found this article on religionnews.com and it was basically talking about, uh, the top 12 myths about Mormonism. So I want to spend some time and kind of go through those. And like I said, I want, you know, uh, I want this to be fun. It's not a, you know, we're not trying to put anyone on the spot here. I've given Trevor a list of these questions beforehand or these myths beforehand. So he's well prepared. So that's the whole thing. We don't want, I don't, I never want any of these shows to kind of be, you know, trying to put anyone on the spot. So, um, Joey, do you have that list in front of you? The top? Uh, yeah. 12? Yeah. I do. Okay. Actually. Cool. Um, I feel like I've been taking up too much of this, uh, <laughs> interview here. So how about you? If you, uh, do you want to go and go through these 12 myths and, uh, Run yeah, for sure. With, with Trevor, and I'll, I'll interject if I if I ha- have anything to say. But uh, Trevor, no, but... Are, are you ready to debunk some myths? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm ready. Oh, okay, I feel like almost like David Letterman a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Well, the number one that's on this list is uh, Mormons practice polygamy. I mean, Trevor, do you practice polygamy? Uh, no, I do not, and I cannot answer uh, affirmatively that I do not know any Mormons that do practice polygamy. Um, the practice of polygamy was ended in the late 1800s. Um, so, I mean, since then, it's been outlawed by the church. Occasionally, you'll hear of people that claim to be Mormons that still practice polygamy. Uh, but those are typically people that are in the fundamental church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is an offshoot of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They still call themselves Mormon in a large extent because they still believe a lot of the things from the Book of Mormon. Uh, but when the the main uh, branch of the church uh, stopped practicing uh, polygamy, they thought that's something that should still be continued because of uh, the revelations that had been given and that sort of thing. So they they didn't believe that another revelation had been given that polygamy should be stopped. But yeah, it's not something practiced by uh, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that, that, yeah, yeah, I want to interject something real quick too. Like that, the whole thing. Um, you know, Christians always kind of they get all you know their their panties in a bunch about Mormonism and and the the whole poly, the whole polygamy thing. But it's like if you look at the Old Testament, polygamy was practiced in the Old Testament too. You know, some of uh, you know like. Uh, Oh gosh! Um, there's Abraham. Yeah, there's yeah, and and that's the, that's the funny thing. It's like you know, it's in it is in the Bible, and Christians just because it's in the Christian Bible doesn't mean they practice polygamy either. So it, I always found it kind of funny when people would kind of get all you know up in arms about the whole polygamy thing with Mormonism. It's just you know, it's in you know. If, if if it's a Christian all upset about it, well, it's, it's in your Bible too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and and to interject here too, Trevor, is I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this when um, the the church actually um, kind of split off? You know, wasn't this a pivotal point in in um, in the church to like I didn't that, that's when they moved to Salt Lake City um, and um, and kind of kind of split off, almost like like Christians. Uh, you know, you have different denominations basically. You know. Within a, within the same belief system, you know. Uh, well, there, there's actually been a a couple different splits. Uh, mm-hmm. The one when the the one split occurred shortly after uh, when Joseph Smith was was killed, because mm-hmm. uh, he had been the founder of the church. It was believed that 
if he was killed, that this uh, Mormon movement would would go the way of the leader and end up dying off, but it didn't. Uh, and at that time, it was believed by some people that, like in the traditions of the Bible, when a lot of times, uh, or especially in the Book of Mormon, that the the role of the prophet or the leader of the church was from father to son and that sort of thing. So there was a big belief among some uh, members of the church that the the new uh, prophet or leader should be one of the sons of Joseph Smith. Uh, but the bulk of the church didn't look at it that way, and teachings of Joseph Smith indicated that was not going to be the case that he would that one of his children would end up being the next leader of the church. It would come from one of the existing uh, members of the leadership of the church that would come and fill that role. That's when Brigham Young uh, took over as uh, the leader of the church, and that uh, they left Illinois, like uh, Nauvoo, Illinois, and then moved out to Utah. Then that was in the 1840s, I believe. Right. But then the whole ending of uh, polygamy was about the time that Utah was just a territory. They were wanting wanting to become a state uh, so they could have more rights because when there's this gray area, when you're a territory, as far as like different rights you have, you don't have the same full rights as members of a state. They wanted to have those same rights. Uh, But there was this growing uh, animosity, I guess, towards the Mormons who had who were practicing polygamy, which polygamy uh, wasn't practiced by every single member of the, the church. It was only a small percentage of the members of the church that actually practiced polygamy, but those that did ended up having several different lives uh, sort of thing. So, But by the end of the 1800s, I mean, uh, the federal government had started confisc- confiscating church property and that sort of thing. Uh, so, uh, during this time where there's intense persecution, like militias being sent to, uh, sort of, uh, get rid of, uh, the Mormons or try to seize all the, their property and that sort of thing, because they're breaking federal law that, uh, there was a, like the, the leader of the church at the time, I believe it was Wilfred Woodruff. He, he prayed to find out what they needed to do. And he was, uh, it was revealed to him that the practice of polygamy should be ceased at that time because it basically, my understanding is it could have spelled the end of the church at that time. So it was more important to keep the church alive and in the practice of polygamy than to try to force the practice of polygamy on indefinitely. Hmm. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. Very fascinating. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on to, uh, Let's move on number, to the next one. Yeah, number two, uh, Mormons are not Christians. Do you consider yourself a Christian, Trevor? Uh, yes, I accept uh, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, just as every other Christian in the world. Uh, I believe this myth uh, about Mormons not being Christian come from a couple of things. First, uh, our churches don't use the cross as a symbol of our Christianity. We believe that uh, Christ is resurrected, and so we uh, celebrate his resurrection as opposed to uh, needing a constant reminder of his death, because the death was only part of that. And the more important thing is that he still lives and that he uh, 
and through his atonement that we're all able to be forgiven of our sins and have, be able to return to live with him in uh, the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, the cross has always been kind of funny funny to me, the cross used as a symbol anyway. So um, <laughs> I think I made a joke. I don't know if it was on Twitter or something like that, but I said, like, you know, what if, uh, you know, an electric chair, you know, or a... Uh, or, or an Iron Maiden or something like that was used to kill Christ. Would that be the symbol of the, you know, of Christian, of, you know, <laughs> the Christian church, <laughs> you know? So, and I, you yeah. know, and honestly, Trevor, um, you know, I think a lot of, you know, what I've read and stuff, you know, some of the Christians that say that, you know, first of all, I probably, the word Mormon, it wasn't it a derogatory term. I mean, it's not really, you guys kind of adopted now, but what I've read is it was almost looked down upon. Like it was a derogatory term to, to to call someone a Mormon, I'm I'm not really certain. Like I mean, I've heard the same thing that it mm-hmm. it used to be sort of derogatory, uh, trying to label us as people that didn't didn't accept Jesus Christ. I right. just believed in like a, a a living prophet that still receives like revelation from God. We believe that sort of thing, whereas mainstream Christians believe that the king. Uh, basically the heavens have been sealed. There's no more adding to uh, the revelations that have already been received. I guess you can receive inspiration and that sort of thing, but they don't equate that as on the same level as revelations that were received like during the biblical times. Right. So I think that's another reason why some people think of us not as Christians because they hear we're Mormons. So, well, Mormons sound like Muslims. I guess that means they're not really... Christians or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, yeah, and you know, and, and just to add the thing, I think uh, I think another, like I guess, a rebuttal against you know the Mormon faith that they're not Christians is the practice of the uh, the belief in the Trinity. I guess I always hear that a lot that because uh, the Mormon Church doesn't believe in the Trinity, um, they can't be Christian. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Do you have have you come across that kind of argument? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Like the idea of the Trinity, like the the, the three um, person Godhead, which is all one, mm-hmm. uh, seems to have arisen sometime uh, after uh, Christ's death. But I mean, if you look at the examples of Christ when he, like Jesus when he was speaking, like you take the example of his baptism, uh, uh, we have the story there where John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus Christ in the River Jordan. He hears the voice of God talking to him from heaven, and he sees the dove as an image of the Holy Ghost. So you have the three Godhead being shown to be distinctly separate in that regard. So it's uh, that's just one example. And you also have Jesus constantly praying to his uh, Heavenly Father. He'd constantly kneel in prayer and that sort of thing. And I, I find that in my mind, I can't really understand how someone could believe that Jesus Christ, if he's the savior of the world and a member of the Godhead, how he would, or why he would be praying to himself, like in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, So, I mean, I, uh, we're taught that Jesus is distinctly separate from God, our heavenly father, and also distinctly separate from the Holy ghost, who's the messenger and the comforter of God sent to mankind to minister to us. Hmm. Interesting stuff, man. Yeah. 
Okay, I th- yeah, Sean, you good with that, man? You want I'm good, man. On? Here, you know what? I'm gonna switch it up just a, just a bit. Let's let's do like every other. Is that that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. I man. think that'll be a little uh, easier, probably. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, number three here, Mormons aren't supposed to drink caffeinated beverages. All right, uh, that that uh, is a myth. Uh, it comes from the belief of some people that because Mormons don't drink coffee and tea, that the reason we don't drink coffee and tea is because of the caffeine in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nowhere in the revelations that have been received is it been indicated that caffeine is the reason. Uh, the the word of wisdom, which comes from uh, a revelation that Joseph Smith uh, received and is in uh, the Doctrine and Covenants, actually doesn't even mention coffee and tea. It just says hot drinks. But later on, the hot drinks was interpreted to mean coffee and tea. And so, I mean, I, like if we're able to drink hot chocolate, chocolate has caffeine in it. And we're able to drink Coke, Dr. Pepper, uh, Mountain Dew. That sort of thing, because it's not the caffeine, it's something else. And we don't really understand why we're told not to drink coffee and tea, uh, but we just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Joe, are you going to take the next one? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Mormons don't dance. Um, Yeah, Mormons definitely dance uh, starting (laughs) at the age age of uh, 14. the congreg like the a group of local congregations which I get we call it a, a stake which could be like not an S T E A K like what you eat but S T A K E like something you'd hammer into the ground right or a vampire yeah or but it's a group of local sort of local congregations that at the age of fourteen all the youth come together and have dances where we listen to uh, contemporary music and we dance to it and that sort of thing. We're, we're not supposed to dance provocatively or uh, dance like we're in a strip club or whatever. <laughs> it's supposed to be a respectful sort of way, but it's definitely encouraged as a way to get to know members of the, of the opposite sex, uh, start filming or developing friendships and relationships in that regard. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, is it my turn, Joey? Yeah, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this is obviously a myth because Trevor, you you don't live in in Utah, but uh, the myth is you know all Mormons or most Mormons live in Utah. Um, is is uh, that based because that's where a lot of uh, the Mormons well, first settled? Would, yeah. yeah. You, you meant you touched on this already. Yeah, I mean, uh, after like after they were forced to leave Illinois, uh, like basically they've been forced to leave every location they they ever existed in the, I mean, the church started in, in New York, but then they were moved out of New York into uh, Illinois. Then they went to Missouri and, and then they had to go back to Illinois and they kept being pushed out by the locals. Uh, and then eventually they said, okay, we're just going to move out to the middle of nowhere into a desert next to a, a giant salt lake that we can't even drink. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, during the early days, like after they, had uh, relocated to Utah. Uh, it was common practice that anyone that joined the church, if they could, would also move to Utah uh, to join the greater body of the church. But 
as the church grew, that became less and less feasible. And in fact, there's actually more members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints outside of the United States than there are that live in the United States. Hmm. And there's about 8 million or so that live within the United States. And I can guarantee uh, Utah is not, does not have an 8 million people as population there. Right. And not everyone that lives in Utah is a Mormon. Right, right. There are only about 60% Mormon or so in Utah. Interesting. The next one is uh, women can't be leaders or speak in the LDS church. Uh, yeah, uh, women actually have their own sort of uh, women's group within our church, and uh, it's called the Relief Society. It was actually formed, I believe, sometime in the 1830s as a way for the women to have their own sort of social organization as a way to help serve each other. Like it's a very big service organization within the church that, that also helps with like a, like teaching uh, lessons and that sort of thing. So they, they uh, teach in that regard. They are, they have leaders obviously within that organization. They also are heavily involved in teaching the youth within the church and also that the kids, they're able to, like, during our congregational meetings and that sort of thing, they're able to speak. They're able to pray in there. And even at the the global level, like the church-wide level, not just at the, the local level, there's women within the the leadership there. I, I believe part of the myth comes from the fact that women, for some reason, have it has not been revealed that they should hold the priesthood, quote-unquote. Right. I believe that's where the myth actually stems from. Yeah, and in, in a lot of Christian churches, actually, um, certain denominations based on certain things that Paul wrote. I, I don't know if it was in Romans or what about you know about women. Um, a lot of you know Christian de- denominations even have even it seems to be even more strict <laughs> rules than than the Mormon Church. But yeah, I think yeah, you're you're right. The the myth um, I, I have right here says that the they yeah, the priesthood is restricted to males twelve and older, and that's basically where the the myth that women can't be involved at all comes from. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, we kind of touched on this next one a little bit earlier. Um, the, this myth that all Mormons are Republicans um, is obviously not because you were, you're yourself are actually leaning more libertarian. Yes, that's correct. And I mean, you also have a Harry Reid, which is a Mormon. And he's a, a, he's a Democrat. Okay. He's the, <laughs> Do you think this myth just because mainly just happened because of Mitt Romney running for president, or no? It's been a fairly long-standing tradition that I could sort of like how I, at the beginning of our conversation that I tend to be more conservative in, in my views, like mm-hmm. more traditional values and that sort of thing. Because of that, I mean, the Republican Party seems to hold more to those traditional sort of values that the value and sanctity of life uh, and that sort of thing uh, where Mormons uh, think that, I mean, you shouldn't just have an abortion for any reason. There needs to be some uh, medical reason or in case of like rape or incest, sort of like a Romney's uh, stance on abortion. What, what he said that uh, he's not 100% uh, pro-life that there's no, exceptions that can be made for having abortion 
but there needs to be a legitimate reason. It can't just be because, oh, I don't want the baby. I right. messed up and I, I don't want the baby, that sort of thing. Uh, so because of those more traditional values, Mormons tend to be lean Republican. I think someone did some study I read somewhere, I think somewhere around uh, maybe 60 or uh, like maybe 40, 50 or 60 percent of Mormons yeah. are registered Republican, something like that. Yeah, I have, I have right here. Uh, yeah, it's around 60 percent. Yeah. 14 mm-hmm. percent say they're a uh, Democrat. Yeah, like Harry Reid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. All right. Let's okay, move right yeah. Along. Yeah. Um, if Romney was president, would he just be a puppet of the LDS prophet or any other Mormon U.S. president? Uh, no. Uh, the, the church believes that uh, the church has a very distinct and separate role from uh, politics. Uh, so, I mean, as with any uh, religious leader, I mean, uh, the, the church would feel that they could uh, talk to the prophet or, or talk to the president uh, and give their opinion on certain issues. But it would be ultimately up to the president who represents not just Mormons or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like he's the, the president for the entire United States, not just one group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, he, he definitely wouldn't be a prop. Uh, a puppet of an LDS prophet because I mean, a lot of things that Romney was actually in favor of aren't necessarily things that even uh, the church is necessarily in favor of or in the recent past has been vocal against mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, like the, the idea of uh, seeking food stamps and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, traditionally the church's standpoints actually been that members of the church should not go and seek those things from the government. They should come to the church first and the church should take care of their own sort of thing. Hmm. Whereas uh, Romney, uh, he was, he never said anything against food stamps or anything because I mean, that's not something politicians want to do because that'd be a political suicide sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, All right. We're going to get, we got a few more here. We're going to get into the, nit- the nitty-gritty here. Here's something that came out. I remember in the news it came out and people were making a big deal about it. But uh, the myth is that Mormons baptize corpses is how it's worded here. But I, I think that it's a little bit something different. Can you elaborate on where that myth came from? Yeah, I mean, within uh, the temples, uh, starting at the age of 12, any member of the church that has been interviewed uh, by the local clergy and has been identified as being someone that's uh, living a good life uh, and following the basic teachings of the church are able to go and perform uh, like ordinances like baptism for those that have uh, deceased without uh, being baptized. Because uh, we believe that everyone should have a chance to be baptized and uh, a chance to receive uh, that saving ordinance and you actually the members of the church go in and not they don't dig up corpses and put them in, in a in a tank and dunk them under the water and say okay you're baptized and that right. sort of thing it's done through proxy like the members of the church will stand in behalf of someone that's already uh, deceased uh, sort of thing yeah. so i mean the mormons are very big into genealogy because we believe there needs to be a, a direct tie from Adam 
all the way to the present and even into the future, uh, that there needs to be a direct link between all these uh, people in order for, because that's the way that uh, the, the we, we believe the resurrection takes place sort of in regards to that in some way mm-hmm. that we don't really have time to go into right yeah. now. But <laughs> yeah, there, There's a lot of things here that I hope, I hope in the future we have kind of a part two where we kind of get more down into some of these things a little more in depth, take a couple things and spend a whole hour on it. It'd be great. Um, um, all right. Is it your turn, Joey? Yeah. Number 10, <laughs> um, a couple more to go here. Uh, Mormons can't use birth control. Uh, that is, uh, Another myth, uh, like uh, we we do believe that the commandment given to Adam and Eve when they were uh, forced out of the Garden of Eden to multiply and replenish the earth is still viable today. That we're supposed to raise uh, families and that sort of thing. We're supposed to have children, but uh, the the church understands that it does a great disservice to children to just keep having children if you can't afford to provide for them. You, you don't want to have people become uh, burdens to s- society because uh, uh, parents can't take care of their own kids. So, I mean, there's there's this understanding that, yes, we're supposed to have kids, but there's also uh, the understanding that you need to do it uh, with a certain degree of restraint, noting that, uh, realizing that it's impossible in today's society to be able to take care of 20 kids or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Number eleven. We got this one's. Uh, this is provocative. Um, Mormons get naked in the temple. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, where, does that, where does that come from, <laughs> Trevor? <laughs> uh, w- with without getting into too much detail, that's not really the case. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yes, there's a, a different articles of clothing we have to change into at different points. Right. Uh, for like uh, ceremonies and that sort of thing that takes place. But I mean, it, it's no different than having a changing room in a locker room sort of thing where people, I mean, yeah, football players, yeah, they have to change out of their street clothes into the uniform. They take showers, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all done in private. You're, you're not being exposed to anyone whenever you're changing these clothes right. sort of thing. Right. Um, hey, uh, Joey, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to call an audible on number 12 here. I mean, number 12, I think we've already established, you know, it, it says yeah. Mormons don't believe in the Bible. We've already covered that. Um, but, but kind of a sub question of number 11, uh, it was actually brought up on the last episode we had, uh, when we had, uh, when we were talking about new atheism, but one of our guests, uh, brought up the quote unquote magic underwear. <laughs> and, and, uh, I was, I was hoping you can, Trevor, uh, dispel the kind of the myth that goes along with that. Um, cause they're more just kind of, Un, like undergarments, but there's a certain reason for them. Can you um can you elaborate on those? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, part of the the ceremonies and that sort of thing that go on in the temple. It's mm-hmm. part of it's a we take on additional promises or covenants uh, that we'll live our lives a certain way. We'll uh, be more charitable, more helpful, more giving in our day to day lives. So, I mean, the garments are a symbol of those commitments that we we make. Uh, it's not something that we wear on the outside to show the world, hey, look at me, I've made all these commitments. But it's something that every morning when we change our clothes uh, or after we take a shower, we put the, 
the mana. We have this uh, physical reminder that, hey, I've made these commitments sort of thing. So, I mean, it's an outward expression of an inward devotion okay. sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, I, think, I appreciate that. And just because, like, that, that's the thing with all these myths and everything, especially with, you know, it's just this this past year with a lot more people talking about you know, Mormonism is just all this stuff just gets thrown around, you know, in popular culture. Um, and, and with things like, uh, the, the, like the Broadway musical I brought up earlier, uh, the Book of Mormon. Um, and I, I actually haven't seen it, so I don't know if that, you know, either f- throws fuel on the fire, <laughs> you know, or if it's, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, satire, you know, like a loving satire, you know what I mean? Cause I'm very satirical towards Christianity, which is the, the faith that I was raised up in. Um, but, uh, you know, I appreciate you, you know, kind of going through these and, and talking about them because I think it's really important. I think people just, they'll start making fun of something they don't, they don't, they don't really know or understand. So I'm hoping that this show, you know, going through these helps people um, kind of look at things in a different light. So I appreciate you going through these with us. Yeah, no problem. Let's, uh, let's take one more musical break here and then we're going to come, we'll come in and wrap up here. Um because we're, I think we're, we're, we're getting near on time. Uh, again, this is another song from Our Lost Infantry, another one of my favorite songs off of the album, The New Art History. This song is called Howl, and we'll be right back to wrap up right after this.
That was Our Lost Infantry with one of my favorite songs off the album, Howl. Off the album, The New Art History. You can find that on Spotify and listen to the whole album there. You can also buy it digitally for five bucks off of deepelmdigital.com. And I would recommend, you know, pay five bucks for it. It's five bucks. Uh, Deep Elm uh, decided to move all their music to just one flat rate of five bucks per full length album. Um, so, you know, it's cheap. It's kind of that sweet spot of music. So, uh, pick that album up. You won't regret it. At least I hope you don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we were talking Mormonism today and, uh, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really happy with the conversation. Trevor, thank you so much for your time, um, and being open to talking about some things. The whole thing is, you know, this episode, I'm, I'm hoping to look at this episode as kind of a launching pad to future more in-depth conversations. Um, would you be willing to come back on and, and kind of go more in-depth with some of the, the things we've talked about in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed uh, uh, sharing my beliefs because, I mean, this is something that's pretty common, these uh, misunderstandings or these myths about Mormonism. And I think it's partly to do that a lot of times is Mormons aren't as vocal as maybe they should be about mm-hmm our beliefs and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think anything that kind of, cause you do, you, there are a lot of, um, Mormonism, uh, has a lot of ritual and a lot of things that happen in the church itself. Um, and people who don't understand it or just kind of looking on the outside in, that's almost an easy target for people to just make things up. Um, you know, you look at, uh, like, like, uh, the, like the Masons, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. You know, these secret groups, there's always like, all this misconception and, 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 uh, speculation. And, uh, it's, it's, it's great to kind of air things out, but, it, but it's also, you know, in Mormonism, it's, it's a church. It's someone's private right to worship. It's their, it's their faith. And, you know, they don't necessarily have to share all the ritual and everything, you know, to everyone. And, and I think actually a lot of the ritual is, um, I, I think I read this somewhere that it's also, um, like there's like hand like hand gestures and stuff like that that are for Mormons in general to kind of to to make sure you're talking to somebody who is of the same faith and stuff like that. Uh, but there's like, there's like all this other stuff that we can go into that hopefully in the future we can go um, you know in depth like to maybe take a couple topics and go in depth on them and uh, you know sky's the limit. <laughs> That's why I, st- I started up this show. You know. All right, um, Joey, do you have any 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 final thoughts on the conversation? Anything else? Yeah. No, it's been a pleasant conversation. I, I appreciate, like, like uh, to echo what Sean said. Thank you, Trevor, for taking your time to share your faith. And um, I, during this conversation, I, a couple things that I wanted to interject, but I didn't, and I feel like I should at the end. Uh, this this podcast is is about like um, you know sharing your views and your faith and worldviews, but also if you had any doubt or disbelief, you know, through your through your journey in Mormonism and becoming a Mormon all your life, have you ever had a time in your life that you just, man, this doesn't make sense or, man, I don't, I don't know about this. Have you ever had one of those moments? I know a lot of quote unquote Christians go through that a lot, you know, when something bad happens in their life or, or whatever, you know, have you experienced that through your, through your faith? I mean, uh, to like, yeah, there's been times I've questioned like, okay, is this the, is this really the, the true church or is it the the only church that has truth or that sort of thing? Which, I mean, I, I firmly believe that every church out there has uh, different degrees of the truth. 
I don't think there's any one church uh, that actually is actively trying to prevent people from being uh, being able to return to to heaven. I think all churches are trying to get people to return to heaven. I it's just through my personal journey. I think this church is the one that will lead me there. Uh, so uh, I, I've questioned it throughout my life, or not through through different periods of my life, but. I've always gone back to the idea that, okay, based on everything that I know, uh, everything I've learned about other faiths and that sort of thing, that this just makes the most sense to me. Cool. Interesting. All right. um, You've been listening to the AXPX podcast. Um, Thank you so much for checking out the show. You can also, you can find articles and the shows at the AXPX.com. Joey's going to start writing some book reviews. There's one up there with Sam Harris's book, uh, Free Will. It's just posted right right now, and I post all the odd, weird uh, articles. So go there uh, to the AXPX.com. Check those out. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash the AXPX. Like us there, and you can follow the AXPX on Twitter uh, under the AXPX, and uh, that's where you can find us. Again, um, the show brought to you by Charming Beard Coffee. Go to charmingbeard.com. And if you want to buy a bag of coffee, enter in AXPX as the discount code. And you'll get a dis- discount on a little 10% discount. So thanks to them for doing that. Um, Joey, where, where are you on Twitter? Uh, just uh, Twitter with my name, Joey Avalos. All right. Again, thanks. Uh, huge, huge thanks to Trevor Magar for coming on the show and speaking about Mormonism. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, next week, I'm h- not sure what the topic will be. I thought we were going to be talking about beer, but um, we'll see what happens with that. So next week, maybe, uh, Joey, maybe we'll, 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 we'll pick a topic or something like that. We'll have a, a topic show, which we always have stuff to talk about. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's always. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tune in next week. Hope all of you have a, a great and safe week. We'll talk to you guys next time. Tell you how I